You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. How's everybody doing? First time preaching on the new stage. It feels stagey. Um, yeah, it does feel safe, and there's no creaking. Um, and so, because where we used to preach, there was kind of like a creak, and then a kind of an inconspicuous noise, and everybody on the front row would kind of wonder, was that or wasn't it? But it never was. Um, so tonight we're going to look at, a, um, tonight we continue our series, Elephants in the Room. And uh, last week, Pastor John spoke about hell, a very contentious topic, uh, and how does a loving God send uh, his, his subjects or his, the people that he loves to hell. And uh, so if you didn't hear that last week, you need to make sure that you get the podcast either on our website or iTunes or our app. It was a fantastic message. It isn't what you thought it would be. And, uh, and so what is an elephant in the room? Uh, it's a bit of an odd saying. Uh, it'd be pretty obvious if there was an elephant in the room. Uh, but, but the whole idea behind, I guess, that saying, but also this series, is what are the issues that are really, really hot, really, really uh, at the forefront of media, at the forefront of politics, at the forefront of social community? What are they? And, and, and how can we address them from uh, the perspective of how Jesus would react, how we, how we need to be uh, looking at these, these particular things? I think it's about time that we were able to have intelligent conversations about issues and topics that are facing us as a community and us as a society. That's what it means to have an elephant in the room. We can't pretend that they're not there. Otherwise, they're going to wreck the place. And we're just going to end up with, an, with, with a broken house. And the reason is because we never actually addressed what the elephant was and how we move forward when we're looking at topics like that. And so tonight we're going to be looking at a very, very, some would say heavy topic. And it's a very uh, politically contentious, socially contentious topic. And it's the topic of abortion. And, uh, you know, it's very relevant today. Uh, you may or may not be aware that our state government just uh, voted on a bill to legalize abortion in Queensland, and uh, that, that happened a couple of months ago. Uh, but in terms of statistics, in the US, one in three women will have an abortion. Worldwide, one in three women will have an abortion. This, uh, we've got a, a clip. This is a video that was played in the US last week for Planned Parenthood. Take a look. That's a video that played in the U.S. last week. Um, how you react to that, you know, it, it can vary. You could, you could be anywhere in terms of your reaction from that. And, but this is a topic that affects people, both positively and negatively, on such a high level 
that it can literally split families, it can literally split communities. And I think as a church, and I think as people who, who believe in God and believe in Jesus, we need to be able to understand and recognize and have an intelligent conversation about this particular topic. And, uh, and, and you need to be aware uh, that if you're in this place and, and you don't consider yourself a Christian and you don't uh, consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you, thank you for coming. You're more than welcome. We're so glad that you're here. You have a place here at Centro Church. You're not out of place. You don't, you don't need to feel like you don't belong. Uh, and, and so there's no judgment from me. Please understand that, that when I'm speaking, it's not from a position of judgment. It's not from a position of condemnation. It's from a position of, hey, I just want to put it all out there. I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm going to tell you, and you can make your own decision. Uh, that, that's, that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to tell you what to think. We're here to present you with, uh, with, with what Scripture says, with what Jesus said, with, with what Jesus modeled, so that you can make up your own mind. Because it, it's not about controlling what people think. It's about just ha- opening up the conversation. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to open up the conversation. And, uh, you know, I, I acknowledge that I am not a woman, and I will never, ever be in a situation where I am presented with a possibility to have an abortion or, or where that is an option to me. I, I understand that. And, and, and I recognize that I am not a scientist either. So I am not going to come, come, come at this topic from a scientific perspective. Because if I was to do that, then probably somebody with a whole lot more science behind them could actually argue against it. So I don't want to do that today. I don't come at this from a psychological point of view because I am not a psychologist. And so somebody with a psychology degree would probably be able to tell you way more in depth. But I do want to have a look at it from a, a Christ-centered perspective and I want to have, and, and I don't want to shock you with gory tales of abortions. I don't want to do that. I don't want to shock you into a, an idea. I actually want us to have a really eyes open, sober conversation about this particular topic because it's something that is facing uh, so many women in today's culture. And we need to actually be able to articulate well. And, and, and full disclosure, I don't think we've been able to do that in the past articulate well on this particular topic. And so this is how I want to look at it tonight. Uh, If we could have the first slide. So why do I care? And that's me personally. I can't speak for us as a church, but I can speak for me. And uh, and so why do I care about this particular topic? Um, and, And where has the church missed the mark on this particular topic? Because I do actually believe that in some cases, we've actually missed the mark on this particular topic. And then I want to have a look at, and this is going to be very contentious, why I am pro-choice, but I am also pro-life. And I want to have a look at a dichotomy there. And, uh, and so stay with me there. And then I want to have a look at a particular individual, Mary Elizabeth Williams. I want to have a look at Jesus' example. And then I want to have a look at where to from here. Uh, because we need, to be a, we need to be people that are, are aware to from here people, you know, we, we need to be a place where people can receive healing, where people can receive restoration. And, and, and so we don't want to be a church that has a billboard that says you're not welcome. And so we need to be able to answer that question. Where do we go from here? So if I could get that scripture on, um, on, on that slide too. Uh, this, is, this is a scripture found in Deuteronomy 
chapter 30, verses 15, and it says this. And uh, this is Moses talking to the children of Israel. He says this, Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. And here's the thing. Every single one of us have a choice between life and death. And I'm not just talking about abortion. I'm talking about the words that we speak. I'm talking about the way that we act. Every single one of us, every single day, have a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would give us wisdom as we unpack this this topic, as we, as we unpack your word, I pray that you would give us wisdom, I pray that you would give us compassion, and I pray that you would give us understanding in, in, in ways to move and connect with people from our community that have been affected by abortion, Lord, people that are, are facing horrendous decisions, Lord, people that are facing many options, I pray that you would give us wisdom to be able to move forward with grace, with compassion, and with your love in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. Why do I care about abortion? Why does Brett Turner care about abortion? And, uh, you know, I, this is, like I said, this is my opinion. Uh, I'm not going to speak for anybody else. This is, partic- this is my opinion. I, I, see, I believe when, when I read Scripture that, that God knits us together in the womb. That, that our DNA, that, that, that our purpose, that our calling are knitted together while we are in the womb. I can't read... Uh, verses like Jer- Jeremiah 1 5, where it says, Before your mother gave birth to you, I knew you, and I called you out to be a prophet to the nations. I, I-, I can't read Psalm 139 13 to 16, where it says, You know my innermost parts, you know my innermost being. You have created a wonderful thing. Why do I care about abortion? That's the first thing. One of the arguments used to rebut people who disagree with, with abortion, or, or pe- one of those is that, is that, is, it's an argument of understanding. You'll never understand what it's like to be in that position. How can you make a call based on the fact that you yourself have never been in that position? You yourself will never be in that position. That is a position of judgment. You know, how dare you come at somebody that's doing that? And, 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 and I want to say, based on that, that is a flawed argument because nobody's story is the same. To actually have that argument means that everybody's story has to be equal in order for there to be a moral and a true truth. And, and so I just want to kind of look at that. See, I've, I've listened to many stories of people who have had horror stories of abortions, but I've also listened to many stories of people who have gone through in the, with an abortion and, and, and certainly when they speak about it, speak of it positively. And so we're never going to have agreement on that. So we need to be able to move past that particular argument and actually unpack it and look at it from a really eyes open point of view. I'll tell you a little bit about my story. I know many people who have uh, either had abortions or or their partners have had abortions or or they've... um, and, And so... And, and I can tell you that the, the reaction is different. But, but I'll tell you my story. See, my, my wife and I have been on a, a journey of IVF, and uh, we've been blessed with our son, Paddy. He's the one wearing the Thor helmet at the moment. But, but I'll tell you this. IVF is a journey of immense pain. It's, an, it's a journey of immense uh, emotional heartache. You know, there, there's, there's the pain of injecting, and this isn't me personally, this is my wife, but there's the pain of injecting yourself 30 times a month 
full of hormones. There's the pain of having eggs retrieved from your body. There's the agonizing wait to see if there will be a viable embryo. If there's an embryo, then there's another agonizing 14-day wait. There's the utter heartache when, again, you are told that you are not pregnant despite shelling out over five grand round and then again and then again and then again and then again. And, and I'll be honest, there's a small sting when you see other people falling pregnant. If, if I'm being real here, there is a small sting. And, uh, but only for, a, only for a millisecond. But I'll tell you what it pales into insignificance is that nothing measures up to the gut-wrenching agony to the realization that somewhere a woman is making the decision to terminate a pregnancy out of fear that it will curtail their life. And that is why I don't agree with abortion. Um, you know, and hear my heart. I, I don't want to make anybody feel guilty. I don't want to make anybody feel bad. That is my experience. That is my story. That is my position. And, uh, and, and you know, and, and that's not just my position, but, but there's one in six couples will have, tr- will have trouble. There is one in six couples that will experience infertility uh, issues over the course of their trying for children. So on the one hand, we have people who are terminating pregnancies, but on the other hand, we have people who are struggling to fall pregnant. Week in, week out, month out, month in, month out. See, that's why I care. The other reason I care is I think it's important to have conversations because despite the pain that I feel, I want to communicate that Jesus loves people that have had, will have abortions. And I think that's why I care because I want to communicate that while I don't necessarily agree, I am still willing to have a coffee. I'm still willing to hear you. I want to know your name more than what you've done. And so I think that that's that's why I care. I want to listen to stories. I want to build friendships with people who have been through this and may have a different opinion, but I want to open up a conversation. I want to open up a dialogue so that I can communicate, I still love you no matter what you do. I still love you no matter the fact that I don't agree with you. I still want to have that conversation. And I think that in the past, we have put up fronts and said, you do that, you're not welcome around me. You do that, you're not welcome here in church. And I think that's a sad thing. See, I'm into starting friendships with people of a different viewpoint. Because I think if we want to move forward as a church, that is how we reach people. See, the Bible says that the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But we sometimes think that the gospel is the power of God to correction. It's not. It's the power of God to salvation. It's not the power of God to correction. If we're trying to correct people into salvation, it's never going to work. But when we open up a conversation and, and the power of the gospel is at work, it's the power unto salvation. See, I, I, I don't I don't like to be critical of the church. I love the church. And I'm not talking about Centro Church. I'm talking about the big C church, the broader church. And if I could get that slide. You know, I think that sometimes in our defensiveness and in our worry, we've missed the mark. We've, been, we've missed the mark in terms of missed opportunities. You know, with a topic like abortion, we need to understand that is not just simply we are anti-abortion. There are so many facets, so many parts 
of this thing that we need to understand. See, abortion just doesn't happen. It happens. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens when when there is when there's not adequate uh, there's not adequate access to education. When there's not ad- access adequate access to social policy that allows things like adoption. In Australia at the moment, it is one of the hardest nations to adopt somebody. One of the hardest nations in the world to adopt somebody. So, so we need to understand that this just doesn't happen in isolation. And, and, and we can't just line up on this side of the fence and say, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. When, when, we're not, when we need to be on the forefront of making way for people to have other options. And so we, we, we need to be understanding that this just doesn't happen in isolation. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. And I think to a certain degree, we've been playing catch up. In 1960, there was the emergence of the, uh, the birth control pill. And, uh, and it was received with utter horror by the church. And, and you know, and I'm speaking generally here. Um, but, but we need to understand that, that we, there are multiple factors here at play. And we need to be on the forefront of creatively finding ways where people can actually have access to services. I think the church should be on the forefront. And if, if, if we are on the, the anti-abortion thing, which I believe we should be, then we need to be creative in finding ways to make waves for people that have a decision to make. You know, our, our education stru- system at the moment, I did substantial research on this, that there are so many, that in terms of the completion rate of a young woman that falls pregnant, it is about 21% completion of high school. That, that once a young girl falls pregnant, she won't go through to grade 12. And so I think that that's a horrendous shame. I think that that's a real shame. And And... You know, we need to be people that are willing to adopt. If we, actually, if we actually believe in this thing, we need to be people that are willing to adopt. We need to be people that are, are willing to foster. And we need to be people who are willing to take on a child while the mother finishes her grade 12 certificate. Like, if we're serious about this, we actually need to have a conversation about this. And we need to be open about where we're going. And I, I want to finish my little subject on this just for a minute. I think we need to be careful about our social media. We absolutely need to be careful about our social media. And, and I'm convicted of this as much as anybody. Is my social media an opportunity for conversation or is it a billboard saying you're not welcome? And, and, and so we need to actually, as Christians, be, be very self-aware of what our social media is saying about us because social media makes a statement. It doesn't open a conversation. So we need to be people that are willing to open a conversation to actually hear somebody's story before we, we tell them what our position is. Uh, next slide, if we could get that one. It's why I am pro-choice and pro-life. This is an interesting one. You know, I, I know there's some people, and you've looked at that, and you're like, How, those two are mutually exclusive ideas. You can't be both. And, uh, and, and so I want to actually unpack that a little bit. See, to say that I am not pro-choice is actually a terrible statement uh, because the truth is we make over 800,000 choices in our lifetime and to say that I'm not pro-choice is kind of counterintuitive. Uh, see, what, what, what we're actually, we can't argue a slogan. 
And so we need to actually unpack that slogan and have a look at everything that's under there. I see. It's. I. I think that sometimes it's kind of like two people having an arm wrestle. I'm pro-life, or I'm pro-choice, or I'm pro-life, and I'm pro-choice, and nobody ever moves forward because we're just arguing our slogans. We're not actually tackling the issue that's underneath it. And, uh, and, and, you know, I mentioned some of the factors before, the social, the educational, the emotional. And, and the truth at the moment is that both sides are locked in that battle. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. And we're never going to change opinions like that. We're never going to change hearts like that because you can't, yell some, you can't yell your opinion into being in somebody else's life. And, and the truth is that we need to actually unpack that a little bit. You know, you can't argue that I'm against choice because the truth is we're all for choice. And, and here's the thing. I was listening to a, a particular gentleman speak on this subject. And he said, when you, when you pull it all back, nobody is really pro-abortion. Nobody would be wanting their family member to get an abortion. It, 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 it's, it, it, the young women find themselves in a situation where it seems like it's the least long-term affecting solution. But nobody goes out wanting an abortion. And, uh, and, and when you actually understand that, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. When, because I think that certainly on the pro-life side, when, we, when you know, there, there's con- contradiction from the pro-choice side, well, you know, well, you're just trying to kill babies and you're just trying to kill babies. When we actually look at it as, as these are young women that find themselves in situations sometimes in their control and sometimes out of their control and they're faced with options, all of which are not great, all of which are not fantastic. And so we need to stop demonizing that side because the truth of the matter, when you strip it all back, nobody is pro-abortion, really, when you think about it. Nobody would even say, nobody is willingly seeking to get pregnant to have an abortion. That's not the purpose, but I think sometimes we have a look at that. And so there's, a, there's an argument that always comes up and it's, you know, well, what about the woman who was raped? Or what about, uh, w- w- what happens when, when the baby is sick? And, and, and the truth of the matter is, that is a conversation. That needs to be a conversation. But in terms of statistically, that is point zero 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 of these statistics and so we actually need to be able to have that conversation because nobody is you know rape is a horrendous thing and we, we, we can't have that we can't have that in society but we actually need to be able to have and I was listening to a story of a woman who was raped and uh, and she put her child up for adoption but she said I was sitting in an abortion clinic and I was just watching the minutes go past and then she realized hang on a minute it's not my child's fault that I was raped. Why should they suffer because something horrendous happened to me? And so there's stories out, that, out there where people can go through with that. And again, like I'm saying, this is, this is an invitation for a conversation. And uh, so I want to have a look at one of the most prolific writers, not most prolific, but, but certainly one of the highest writers on the issue of pro-choice. And her name is Mary Elizabeth Williams. She writes for a magazine called Salon Magazine. And uh, 
you know, I, I want to have a look at, at what it looks like, what the arguments for abortion are looking like at the moment. This article was written in 2013, and if I can have that slide up there now, uh, this, this, this is from a pro-abortion article. It says, here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about. Lest we wind up looking like your death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health would automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her. Always. See, that is, that's a pretty confronting statement right there pretty confronting statement somebody saying that all life is not equal and 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 kind of in this in this move to equality i think we need to actually understand why we believe what we believe because unfortunately in times gone by we've tried to win the argument by compelling stories well, this happened, and, and, and this person had this particular instance happen to them. But then the other side has another compelling story, and we're never, ever going to move forward if we don't actually understand why we believe what we believe. Because a compelling story can be overruled by a compelling story. And, and I shared my story not to try and compel you to do anything, but as an invitation to listen. And I think that sometimes that's why we need to use our stories to actually open a door to be able to listen, but not to try and win an argument over the other side. And, and you know, those particular comments where it says, uh, yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides, that's a, that's a really dangerous statement. Because, and if I could get that first slide up there, the first photo, sorry, the first photo, um, there we go. So before 1910, women did not have the same, well, you know, even up until now, but, but certainly women didn't have the same rights as men. They weren't even close to being on the same uh, wavelength or same uh, opportunities as men. And so they were seen as second-class citizens. It wasn't until the suffragette movement that there was a movement in terms of that. And so that kind of rationale was the reason for the subjugation of women. That, that all life is not equal, that women are somehow less important than men. That was the same rationale given for the subjugation of women. And, and, and yet a, I'll read that line again. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. Next photo. African slaves in the U.S. There was a, there was a, a bill passed in the U.S. Uh, Congress saying that an African male was worth three-fifths of a white person, of a white male. And, 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 the, and so in the same breath, a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. If we were to look at that in the context of that, a black African-American doesn't have the same rights as the white slave owner to whom he works. You see where I'm going here. You see what I'm saying. And last photo. And, 
you know, you don't have to be a genius to, to recognize that the horrors of the Holocaust, where a, a, a group of people defined the Jewish race as subpar, as less human, and able to be killed, and able to be tortured, and able, a, able to be malnourished, and, and, and the list can go on. Kurds in Iran, you know, there, there's, there's so many times in which humanity, which we now view as abhorrent, when humanity puts a value on somebody as less than somebody else because of how they are, because of how they look. See, this woman in this says that there is no argument about where does life begin. The argument simply is the woman has the right to actually place value to the level in which she feels fit of that particular child. I want to read on. This is in the same article. It says, When we on the pro-choice side get cagey around the life question, it makes us illogically contradictory. I have friends who have, re- who, is re- who have referred to their abortions in terms of scraping out a bunch of cells. Then a few years later, we're exultant over the pregnancies that unhesitantly described in terms of the baby. And this kid... I know women who have been relieved their abortions and grieved over their miscarriages. Why can't we agree that how they felt about their pregnancies was vastly different, but that it's pretty silly to pretend that what was growing inside of them wasn't the same? Fetuses aren't selective like that. They don't qualify as human life only if they're intended to be born. She makes that statement that it's only, it's whether the human life is to be born or not born, that defines the worth. There is no scientific argument. She is blazingly saying it doesn't matter. It is all about the choice to add value to somebody. And that is a dangerous, dangerous statement. And if we can learn anything of history, it would be this, that we can't actually define who has value and who doesn't. Because we we can't repeat those horrendous things that happened. I, I mentioned the two scriptures, and if we could have that slide uh, with Jesus' example. Uh, I mentioned the Jeremiah 1 verse 5 and the Psalm 139 verses 13. And those are, are great scriptures, and I think they communicate how God views life, how God views human life. But I want to have a look, because our faith hinges on the person of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we live in a pluralistic society where everybody can have their ideas and their ideals, and that's fine. But our faith hinges on the person of Jesus Christ, that he, raised from, that he was crucified and raised from the dead, taking on the sins of mankind so that we could have relationship with him forevermore. What, what did he have to say on the topic? Nothing. But I want to look deeper. Luke 1, chapter 1, verses 28 to 31. Some of you might know this scripture. Uh, it, it talks about when Mary is visited by the, archangel, by the angel Gabriel. And it says this, Gabriel appeared to her, her being Mary, and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, the angel told, you, told her, because you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will... N- Name him Jesus. Did you notice the word in there? You will conceive a son. Jesus didn't mention abortion 
But God could have brought Jesus onto the planet any way that he saw fit. Any way. He could have brought him in as a man. He could have brought him in as an old man. He could have brought he could have just made him born. But God chose to bring forth the savior of the world through conception. And I think if we really want to follow Jesus, we actually need to figure out what Jesus, who he is and what his example is. And, you know, if, if you don't buy into the whole Jesus thing, that's cool. We're glad that you are here. Please come along, listen, connect. We, we, we love to have conversations. It, it, it's what makes us tick. But, but if you believe that the narrative of Jesus, uh, if you believe the narrative of Jesus, what I found profoundly interesting is that God chose to use conception to bring he that would take on the sins of the world. Last slide, and then we're done. Where to from here? Where do we go from here as a church? Where do we go to from here as individuals? Where do we go to from here for people that want to hold fast to that which Jesus said? And I've covered a little bit. And I hope tonight has presented you with more questions than answers. I hope that, that, that tonight you've, you've been challenged in your thought to actually look deeper and look differently at this topic, to look more openly and, and, and rather than try to have an open mind, but just unravel and unpack what this topic means to you. I want to uh, finish with a story. Um, one, of, one of the land or the landmark case in the US of A for the legalization of abortion was a case by the name of Roe versus Wade. And next year signifies 50 years since the Supreme Court ruled on Roe versus Wade, whereby a woman by the name of Roe applied to receive an abortion, but three years later, the Supreme Court ruled the seven justices to two that she should be allowed to have access to abortion. And, and, and the Roe versus Wade story is so it's so far-reaching. It's been the benchmark. It's been the, the linchpin for so many marches, so many, uh, just so much conversation. But I want to tell you about the woman. Now, she went by the name of Jane Rowe. Why did she go by the name of Jane Rowe? Because there were people, Christians, sending her death threats. Now, I don't know where you sit on this whole thing, but that's not that we should never, ever be there. Never, ever be there. But she changed her name to have a synonym, Jane Rowe. And, uh, and so, but her real name was actually Norma McCorvey. Now, she was in a violent relationship. She was married at 16. And uh, she was pregnant at 19, left her husband because he was assaulting her. She was... Her, her mum was so fed up with her because she turned to alcohol that she said, can you please sign these insurance papers? Now, Norma didn't read them. She just signed them because she thought they were insurance papers. They were actually adoptive papers for her daughter. And then her mum kicked her out of home. And uh, so then she became pregnant again to another abusive man. And that child was put up for adoption. All the while... Norma, who was an out and out and vocal lesbian, got pregnant for a third time and sought the help of a lawyer who wanted to take this opportunity to contest 
the Texas abortion laws. And then in, in the Supreme Court three years later, like I said, her case was one, seven justices to two, and the pro-choice movement had a landmark case. Now, McCorvey worked in the pro-choice lobby for about 15 years and became the spokesperson for abortion, counselling and assisting women with abortions. However, she observed a local church nearby that would take women who had had abortions and bring them in for coffee, bring them in for cake and have conversations with them. Women Women whose lives had just been ripped apart, they embraced and brought them in. And uh, she, would, she would sit with them and chat with them just over coffee about their differences of opinion. She would later say that she didn't particularly like the pro-choice movement. She just wanted an opportunity to have a safe abortion because she didn't want to bring a child into the world where that was her reality. But for 15 years, she was the name that the pro-choice lobby chanted. But her heart was being changed. See, she would have several long conversations with the parish minister. And eventually, through these conversations, she, give, she gave her heart to Jesus Christ. You know, see, how we move forward in this topic, I don't want to call it an issue because when you call it an issue, it automatically just brings people go, hang on a minute. But it's a topic. We actually need to present it and respect people. And... Uh, you know, we, we can't move forward throwing rocks. We can't move forward throwing rocks at people that have, you know, that, that, that differ from us. But we should be like that church and offer a welcoming home. We should offer a cup of tea, a cup of coffee. And, and you know, I believe that we should stand for what we believe in. I, I, I believe that when there's an opportunity to sign a petition, I, I believe that we should do that, but I don't think that we should stand on people. We need to stand up for what we believe in, but we don't need to stand on people. Because Jesus never, ever called out people without having a conversation. The only people he did that to was the religious leaders. So we need to be a people that stand for what we believe, but don't tread on people. And so just I just want to kind of close with this thought. See, I don't have to be a, a genius, or I don't have to know your past to know that there is there's things that, that you've done that, that you're not proud of, and it might be abortion, it might not be. But you need to know that you're welcome here. And you're welcome with Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and you know, I said, that, I said that scripture at the start of this message, Deuteronomy 30, verses 15. Choose life and not death and choose prosperity and not destruction. And, and the truth of the matter is that we all at some point choose destruction. It might not be as overt in some cases, but the truth of the matter is we do. And, and, and so please understand that there is no condemnation from this stage there is there is no hate there is no uh, there is no anger there is no frustration there is only open arms of Jesus Christ and I hope that we as a church can can get past the rock throwing and we can move into conversation having we can move into having conversations over coffee and letting that just take its course and letting Jesus be the power under salvation.
you for listening to this podcast.